What is up, listeners of the world? My name is Jalen Tully, and welcome to J Talks. Happy Sunday. Happy end of your week or beginning of your week, depending on how you choose to look at Sunday. But happy Sunday, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of my podcast, J Talks. This week, I really don't anticipate it getting too intense. I don't anticipate that we're going to be really talking about a lot of hard hitting or hard to talk about topics. I kind of just want to have a couple honest conversations with you guys this week, as I always do. But this week, more specifically, we are going to have a conversation about tipping etiquette. Yes, I said that right, tipping etiquette, because apparently that's a conversation that we need to have. And like I have been saying in the last couple of weeks, I also want to talk to you guys because I did in fact get my second dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. I want to talk to you guys about what I experienced. I want to talk to you guys about what you might experience if you are planning on getting vaccinated or if you're currently in the process of getting vaccinated. And then I also just want to have another conversation about the the current discourse around getting vaccinated, about why people are so hesitant, and hopefully have a conversation today that can help break down some of those barriers and help break down some of the conspiracies or thoughts that are promoting the hesitancy around getting vaccinated. So yeah, with all of that introduction BS out of the way, let's just jump right into the episode this week. First, yes, I said it before, and I'll say it again, we need to have a conversation about tipping etiquette. And just to fill you guys in a little bit about why this is a conversation we're having right now, I have a personal connection to this. I actually work in a restaurant. I'm a waitress and a bartender, and I have worked in food for the last several years now. And as someone who gets a firsthand experience of people tipping and working with people in the restaurant industry, it has become very, very clear to me that people do not understand basic tipping etiquette or basic basic restaurant etiquette. And so, yes, that is a conversation that we need to have today. For example, this literally happened to me the last week. Like, I've wanted to talk about this for the last few weeks now, and this was something that literally happened to me as I knew I was going to talk about this, as I knew this was a topic that I wanted to broach this week. And this, like I said, this happened to me just mere days ago. But I had a couple that... They sat down to eat, they finished their meal, and then they kind of just like walked out of their seat and kind of just like left my area. And as I was going downstairs to kind of like let my manager know that like, hey, these people walked out without paying, I realized that they went to the hostess, they went to the front area of the restaurant downstairs to pay it just to get out of giving me a decent tip. They gave me a $3 tip on a almost $40 tab. And that, like, that just, like, drove the point home. I was like, wow, that's just, like, a sign that I need to talk about this on this week's episode. I mean, it wasn't angering to me or anything. Like, you're, I, you always have people like that. There's at least one person or one couple or one table a shift does something like that or tips you terribly or you have a bad experience or their food comes out wrong. Like, I've, I've kind of learned at this point that you're gonna have one mess up during a shift. You're gonna have one bad experience at least once during every single shift you work. That's kind of just what working with people and what working with food comes with, I've learned. But this was this was kind of different than the other experiences I have that are kind of flukes in in my during my shifts because I have never had someone literally avoid paying me or asking for their check from me as the waitress going downstairs to the front desk so that they can pay their bill down there so that they can get out of tipping me a decent amount. Like that was that was absolutely ridiculous to me. And I I just, I needed to talk about it because it just, it ties in so perfectly to the overarching point I want to make in this segment of this week's episode. And that being, do not go out to eat if you cannot afford a decent tip, especially during COVID. I don't know where people get this logic that they can still go out to eat even if they can't quote unquote afford or if they don't want to, if they straight up just don't want to give a tip. I don't know where that became like normalized, I feel like, because to me that is rude. <laughs> that is incredibly rude to go out to eat with the with the knowledge or with the thought that you're not going to leave a decent tip or you're not going to leave a tip of at least 20%. Because in case people don't know, 20% is what you're quote unquote supposed to leave for a tip. That's like the, that's kind of like the societal expectation 
And granted, we don't really we don't really have a lot of societal expectations around tre around treating waitresses or waiters correctly or tipping them correctly because we still live in a society that tips people, which I think is crazy in general. But overall, like I feel like we don't really adhere to those societal standards because they're not as prominent. But I'm I'm here to tell you now that twenty percent is usually the the baseline of what you should be tipping your waiter or waitress. And why we need to tip people and why I'm being so adamant about tipping is, like I said, not only because I work in the industry myself, but waiters and waitresses and bartenders, they all depend on their tips. That is their main source of income. A lot of waiters, waitresses, and bartenders get paid under the table, which means they make under the minimum wage. Like, when I serve, I make $3.75. Like, I, like that's $3.75 an hour. And after taxes, sometimes my paychecks are like $7. My last paycheck for working four days a week, five hours every single day I worked, was $7.20. That is the amount of money that I had in my direct deposit when I went to look at my pay stub for the week. So when I go into work and I get my tips, you know, I'm that like that's the that's the reason I'm there. <laughs> like that is my main source of income. I'm not there working and, you know, busting my ass for 3.75 an hour. That's not why I'm there. I'm there to make tips because that's how I make my money. And that's how every single waiter, waitress and bartender makes their money too. So just with that out of the way, that is why you need to tip because this person is usually making around three, four dollars an hour. And I mean, there's so many conversations, there's so much discourse going on right now around the fact that our $7.25 an hour minimum wage is already a starvation wage and how people can survive on that. I mean, you think someone can survive on four dollars an hour? And especially, I want to drive this point home now, especially during COVID, when so many people have had to spend the last year not working, when so many people are struggling to put food on their table, when so many people are struggling to keep a roof over their head, when so few people are going out to eat, when so many more people are relying on takeout, you know, less people are dining in. This is especially a crucial time to tip well and make sure you tip at least that 20%. Because like I said, it's hard enough for waiters and waitresses to get by on what they're already making. And so when you factor into that the pandemic and every single piece of our economy that the pandemic has leveled in the last year, I mean, it for you to not tip an adequate amount, that would just that would be horrendous. Like don't go out to eat if that's how you're gonna be. Just get takeout at that point. And speaking of takeout, I wanna say this as well. While takeout is a little bit different because you're not actually being quote unquote waited on. It's still a good etiquette to leave a tip. I still try, whenever I get takeout, I still try and leave like a few dollars or, you know, like still try and leave like a 10, 15% tip. And granted, when I go out to eat, I usually try and leave like 30, 35% tip just because like I, I work in the restaurant industry and I understand and I understand how hard it can be to, you know, make ends meet when you're working in the restaurant industry and how obnoxious it is when people don't tip appropriately. But with all of that being said, overall, at least leave a 20% tip if you're going out to eat, if you're being waited on. And honestly, if you can afford it, if you have the means, try and leave a little bit more than that because we are still in a pandemic. People are still struggling to make ends meet. People, are, people still aren't going out to eat as much, which means that the majority of restaurants aren't having the service that they usually did before the pandemic. It's the considerate thing to do. It's the nice thing to do. And if you can't afford to leave a good tip, then you cannot afford to go out to eat. And with all of that being said, I do just want to leave a little tip, no pun intended, on how to calculate, how to tip 20%, like an easy way to calculate. I saw this probably like on Instagram or something. It was just like one of those little like infographics on how to like do the mental math to tip well. And I have just, I like do it on my own, like when I'm working, like I've gotten so fast at doing it. It takes absolutely no time now. And I apologize if I don't portray this as an accurate way or if I'm trying or for like the way I'm trying to describe this doesn't come across in a way that makes sense to you guys. It's so much harder to explain it without like it un like an actual writing in front of you. It's so much easier to show someone how to do this when you can actually like write out a problem, but I'm going to try and explain it to you the best I can. So let's say you have a tab that's like $41.26. Let's say you, you you know you went out to eat and your total comes out to $41.26. What you do is you carry the decimal point, so you shift the decimal point over to the left one spot, and then you multiply that number by two, and then that's the tip that you should leave. So for example, if you, so for that example that I gave, where it was like your total comes out to $41.26, 
you shift the decimal point over to the left one spot. So the number that would now be on your receipt would be 4.126. And then you'd multiply that by two. So you'd roughly get like 8.2, 8.3. So that means that your tip would be around $8.20. So that would be like almost perfectly like a 20% tip. And the same rule applies for bigger numbers. If you have a bigger tab, if you have a tab that's over $100. So let's say you have a tab that's like $103.96. You'd still do the same thing. You just shift that decimal point over to the left one spot. So the number that you get would be 10.396. And then you just multiply that by two. So the, so the, the tip that you'd leave in that circumstance would be like $20.50 roughly, somewhere around there. I really hope that made sense. I know it's it's kind of hard to explain that without like a diagram or writing out the problems actually in front of you. So if it helps at all, feel free to rewind that section and get out like a pen and paper and actually write out like the the numbers and how I'm trying to explain to you to do that. I because I think part of the reason why it's so easy for me now is because that first time I did see it, it was written out and I was able to actually visually see how the math was done. But anyways, that is an easy and quick way to do the mental math in order for you to tip an, an accurate 20% every single time you go out. And that's something that I exercise now. Like I said, I usually tip over that. I usually add like a couple bucks to that so that I can tip like a 30-35%. But just generally speaking, if you're going to tip 20%, that is a great and easy way to make sure that you tip accurately every single time you go out. Alright you guys, now that that part of this week's episode is over, we are now going to get into the bulk of this week's episode, the main and overarching topic of this week. That being that as of the 28th of May, which will be the Friday after this episode comes out, I will be fully vaccinated. It will be two weeks after I got my second dose, which means that I will have built up enough antibodies within myself to be fully resistant against the COVID-19 vaccine. Before I get into the genuine, honest conversation of this week, I did just want to share my personal vaccine experience. Obviously, no one's experience is the same, and I want to make that very, very clear disclaimer before I go into my experience and talk to you guys in depth about it. Nobody's experience is the same. I'm sure a lot of people had much more mild experiences than I did, and I'm sure a lot more people had much worse experiences than I did. And while the more I talk to people and the more I talk to my friends and my family and other people who have been vaccinated, and as I see more personal stories on social media, it seems as though at least one of the doses makes people very sick or gives them, you know, flu-like symptoms. It more so seems to happen with the second dose, but I do just want to come on here and share my personal experience just because for those of you who haven't had those conversations, for those of you who don't have family members or friends who are vaccinated and don't have those personal experiences to kind of base the vaccine off of, I do just want to share mine with you guys now just to hopefully assuage some of the concern or confusion or hesitancy around actually getting vaccinated and the experience of getting that vaccine and how I felt afterwards. So I talked about it a couple episodes ago when I got my first shot. My first shot was very mild. I I kind I got kind of tired after I got my second shot and so I took like a three hour nap and then I was fine. But then for a couple of days my arm was pretty sore. It kind of just felt like a bruise. Like if I pushed on it, it would it would feel sore like like a like a couple week old bruise. That was kind of like the best way I could describe it. But my second shot, my second shot was a completely different ball game. And I'm gonna be honest with y'all real quick. That shit, that shit kind of messed me up a little bit. Like I, I had a very like, I had like kind of like a traumatic experience, but it lasted. It was very, very short. It was a very short, like bad experience. But my, my arm was not sore. My arm was only sore for like a day after that shot. But the night that I got that shot, so I got my shot on May 14th. That was a Friday. That Friday night, I was actually with my partner. I was spending the night with my boyfriend. And I, it, it came on, it washed over me like a wave. Like I got, I got the worst chills ever. I, my, my teeth were shattering. It, it was seven, it was like 70 degrees outside. And I had three blankets on me. I had a comforter on me. I was chat like my teeth were chattering. I was freezing. And then, you know, came like the malaise, like the, like the body fatigue, like my whole body was sore. It was a, it was so difficult to like stand up and walk to the bathroom or go to the bathroom. I felt terrible. I didn't end up falling asleep until like one or two in the morning because I, I, I literally was so uncomfortable that I couldn't even sleep. 
And like a couple hours after I got the chills, I got really bad hot flashes. And like, I, I remember, I remember getting up and like going to wipe my chest off and like kick the blankets off of me. And my entire chest was soaked. It felt like I was, it felt like I was in the shower. It felt like I just stepped out of the shower and like, I hadn't, I hadn't like used a towel yet and like wiped off my body. Like that's how soaked I was. And I like, I kicked off all the blankets in a fever and I was still, I was still cold. Like I still wanted blankets on me, but I was sweating my balls off. Like I was so hot. But the thing is, once, once like one or two in the morning rolled around and I was able to fall asleep, I woke up the next morning and was fine. Like I still had a little bit of a headache. I was still a little bit groggy and fatigued, but I popped three ibuprofen and the rest of my day was smooth sailing. I did pop two more just because just before I went into work, just in case I had any more of those residual effects and I didn't want to affect me while I was at work. But like I said, after that, I felt perfectly fine. I felt better than normal. Like it was sm completely smooth sailing after that. But yeah, that, um, that first night was pretty bad. Like my, like my partner was like, oh my God, like, are you okay? Like, do you need anything? Do you like, what is wrong with you? Like then this is from the vaccine. And I was like, yeah, but like, imagine how bad getting COVID would be if this is just what the vaccine is doing to me. Imagine how much worse getting COVID would be. Like that was like the all, the only thought that was ringing through my head because I've gone through this pandemic at least, you know, knock on wood, I'm going to knock on my desk real quick, but I've gone through this entire pandemic without testing positive for COVID or without getting COVID. Like I've never, I had a cold last November, but I went to go get a COVID test and it came up negative. So like I said, I think it was just like a regular like seasonal cold or flu, but I went through this entire pandemic without getting COVID. So personally, I don't know what getting COVID is like. I know for me as a young, healthy 18-year-old girl, if I, had if I had tested positive, it probably would have been asymptomatic. I probably wouldn't have really had any symptoms. And if I did, they probably would have been very mild. But should I have gotten a more serious case? I mean, if that was just what the vaccine was doing to me, imagine how much worse getting like a serious case of COVID would be. That is crazy to me. Like that alone is, is what makes me happy that I got vaccinated. And just that out of the way, I want to state that me making it through this entire pandemic now being fully vaccinated without getting COVID-19 it, I feel like I just beat teen pregnancy. I just feel like I graduated high school again without getting pregnant. Like, this is the greatest feeling ever. I am so proud of myself. Again, I'm still a teenager, so, like, maybe I should knock on wood again that, like, teen pregnancy doesn't come up and bite me in the ass. But as of right now, I am extremely proud of myself that I've made it through the pandemic without getting COVID. Like I said, it feels like I just beat teen pregnancy. But yeah, I did just want to share that experience with you guys just because I, I didn't have a great experience with the vaccine, but it only lasted like eight hours. Like that whole ordeal only lasted like six to eight hours. And once I fell asleep and woke up the next morning, like I said, I was fine. I had a little bit of a headache, but once I popped some ibuprofen, uh, wow, I can't talk. But once I popped some ibuprofen, I, I was fine. Like for the rest of my day was fine. And I had none of those residual side effects. So now that that's all out of the way, why do I, why am I talking about vaccines again? I, I, had, I already did an episode on vaccines. I already did an episode talking about the importance of getting vaccinated, talking about why we need to take it upon ourselves to participate in society and be functional members of society and therefore perform our civic duty of getting vaccinated and inoculating ourselves against this virus. And honestly, seeing everything that's going on, seeing how everything is unfolding as people are getting vaccinated, as vaccines are getting rolled out, I just feel a need to have an honest conversation about this because even though shots are getting into arms, even though people are getting vaccinated, we are now starting to see the vaccine levels begin to taper off and we are finding it more and more difficult to convince people to get vaccinated. Even though we're having these vaccine rollouts, even though we're trying to get, you know, spread awareness about, around the vaccine, even though we have public officials very openly, proudly, and publicly getting vaccinated and saying that, you know, other people should do the same, we are still finding it very, very difficult to actually get people to clinics, to actually get people to hospitals and get people to pharmacies. And, you know, this is on the flip side of this. As people are getting vaccinated, as vaccination levels are rising, and you know, while they're rising a little bit slower now, while they're still on the rise, mask mandates are beginning to be lifted. And states and stores as a whole, corporations as a whole, are starting to see it as less of a necessity for their customers to wear masks because now the general assumption is that, oh, more people are getting vaccinated, therefore COVID is less of a worry, therefore people won't have to wear masks as much. 
and with our with our vaccination levels with our with our levels of people who have at least gotten one dose tapering off around 60% and starting to level off around 60%, we are nowhere near the the number of people. We are nowhere near the percentage of people in our society that need to be vaccinated in order to benefit from herd immunity, in order for COVID to actually be somewhat eradicated from our society as we know it. So it's real it's really concerning for me as someone who who thought that, you know, getting vaccinated was never a, a choice for me. Like I just, it was just like a thought in my head that like, okay, I'm going to get vaccinated the second I can. The second it becomes available to me, I'm going to register to get my vaccine. Like it was never a debate in my head. But as someone who feels that way, I, I look at the society around me and, you know, I see the mask mandates being lifted. I see the social distancing guidelines being lifted. I see people itching and urging and wanting to get back to some sense of normalcy but while I'm still looking at the numbers in front of me of the overwhelming amount of people who are still refusing to get vaccinated, this is concerning to me. And I, I have been asking myself how we go about this. I've been asking myself, and a lot of people have been asking themselves, how do we go around having these conversations? Because for me personally, I feel like the current conversation and the current discourse around getting people vaccinated is very unproductive. I feel like it's doing more harm than good because it's still very shameful. It's still very, oh, if you're if you don't want to get vaccinated, then you're an anti-masker, you're an anti-vaxxer, you're a right-wing conspiracy nut, you are stupid, you are uneducated. Like we are, we are, you know, like villainizing people who don't want to get vaccinated when in reality we should be having genuine conversations with them and addressing their concerns and addressing their conspiracies and addressing the thoughts that they have that are promoting their hesitancy around getting vaccinated. And with the podcasts that I listen to, with the news outlets that I listen to, with the news articles that I read and the journal entries that I read, it seems as though this is the general consensus of doctors. It seems as, as though this is the general consensus of the, the educated individuals in our society, the the politicians, the doctors, the, you know, health, the national and international health officials, it seems like this is the general consensus that, like, we need to meet people where, where they're at, and we need to have genuine conversations where we don't shame people, where we don't guilt people into getting vaccinated, where we can't, you know, tell people that they have to get vaccinated or that it's not a personal choice, because at the end of the day, we live in America, we live in a country where getting vaccinated is a personal choice for the, for the most part, even though, you know, there might be certain areas that you cannot exist in, even though there might be certain requirements before you go to school or enroll a child in school that require them to have certain vaccinations, for the most part, getting vaccinated is a personal choice. And we, we cannot ignore that when we go into these conversations with people who have not been vaccinated and have no intention of being vaccinated. With everything that I've listened to, with all of the media that I've taken in, with all of the different opinions and outlooks on this that I've uh, listened to and tried to adhere to, like I said, the general consensus, the general idea of this is that we need to find a way to turn these unproductive conversations, we need to find a way to turn the unproductive discourse right now into productive discourse, and we need to find a way to, like I said, meet people where they're at. And kind of coax them into getting vaccinated instead of just staunchly calling them bad people, calling them right-wing conspiracy nuts, calling them, you know, ignorant people who, you know, don't care about the communities around them. Because nine times out of ten, that's not true. An overwhelming amount of people who aren't getting vaccinated are, I found at least where I am, are not older right-wing conspiracy theorists. They're actually young people. They're young people who are my age, who nine times out of ten share the same beliefs that I do and are, you know, more independent or more left-wing. And they just don't trust the vaccine or they don't feel the need to get the vaccine. They don't see the significance. They don't see the importance of not only the safety of themselves, but the safety of their community to get vaccinated. And so having these conversations where we shame people who don't get vaccinated doesn't really do anything because, like I said, even though I'm generalizing to to speak on where I exist right now in the area where I live in, and this might not be true for the rest of the United States, but like I said, I'm just speaking generally from where I am, that's not true. Telling people that, you know, they're just a conspiracy theorist, that they're an anti-masker and an anti-vaxxer, nine times out of ten, that doesn't fit the criteria, that doesn't fit the demographic of the people who aren't getting vaccinated and who don't want to get vaccinated right now. The, you know, just nonsensical BS that comes out of the anti-vaxxer, anti-masker, you know, 
group in our society and what comes out of their mouths is so overwhelming that we just assume that any person who doesn't want to get vaccinated is an anti is an anti-vaxxer and that's just not true the people in this country who don't want to get vaccinated because they believe that vaccines cause autism or they believe that vaccines can cause you to have a miscarriage which is something that i'm going to address in a little bit but those people are such a small subset of our society. They are, they are a fraction of the people in our society. It's just that their stupidity and their, their you know, mindless opinions are so loud and they're being so loud with their ignorance that it's overwhelming. And we just assume that when someone doesn't want to get vaccinated, that's the opinion that they have. And like I said, majority of the time, that's not true. So while... so. So while I understand personally, with my own personal beliefs, while I understand the frustration around people who don't want to get vaccinated, shaming them or guilt tripping them into getting vaccinated will not do anything. That will only cause more harm than good. That will not, that won't, that definitely won't urge them to get vaccinated. That won't convince them to get vaccinated. That won't assuage the concerns that they have around the vaccine. If anything, that will only alienate them further and be like, well, now I don't want to get vaccinated because, you know, this person yelled at me on the street and, you know, called me a piece of shit and made me feel terrible about myself. So now why the fuck would I want to get vaccinated if this is how I'm being treated for a personal choice? Like, we can't, we can't do that. That's not productive. And I want to, I want to broach that this week. And I want to try and answer some of the, some of the concerns, some of the conspiracies and some of the just overall thoughts that people have that are promoting the hesitancy around getting vaccinated. And I want to do it in a kind, in a productive and in a very patient way. So that if you are a person who doesn't want to get vaccinated, if you are a person who hasn't been vaccinated yet and aren't sure whether or not that will be a choice that you make, hopefully you'll be able to listen to this. And, you know, even if you don't have your opinions changed, even if you don't end this episode and go on with your life with the thought that you're going to go and register to get a vaccine, you know, get a vaccination appointment, even if that's not the outcome of this, I want you to at least be able to listen to this and not feel shamed for the choice that you're, that you are, aren't making. I want you to be able to listen to this and have your questions answered. I want you to be able to listen to this and have the conspiracy theories debunked. I want you to be able to listen to this and have the overarching theme of this episode be productivity. And more than anything, I want people to listen to this and be able to walk away not feeling shamed, not feeling guilted, not feeling out of place or alienated for the choice that they want to make. I want them to be able to come to terms with the fact that this is a choice that they need to make on their own. So yeah, you guys, let's have some let's have some thought-provoking and considerate conversations this week. Woohoo! First, I want to address a conspiracy theory that being around vaccinated people or getting vaccinated can and will cause you to have a miscarriage. I saw a headline on Vice News, and I need to share it with you guys. This was a real headline I read. Like, this was a real headline and subheading that I read, and I had to read it at least three times. I thought I was having a stroke. I did not even understand what I was reading. But I'm going to read this headline for you guys. Anti-maskers ready to start masking to protect themselves from the vaccinated. An anti-vaccine conspiracy theory about the vaccinated are leading some anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers to contemplate wearing a mask and social distance. Oh my goodness. Like, like that is, is that not like mildly concerning to anyone else that that is a real headline that we are reading in the year of our Lord 2021? I honestly, I genuinely had to put my phone down and like regroup myself for a couple of minutes trying to understand and dissect that headline. Pretty much there's a conspiracy going around right now that being in the presence of vaccinated people, the quote-unquote antibodies that their body is producing against the vaccine will leach out into the air and cause pregnant women to experience miscarriage. And that is causing a lot of anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers, people who in the beginning of the pandemic were calling the pandemic a hoax, were saying that, you know, they didn't need to mask up or anything. That is causing a lot of these people to start to wear masks and social distance against people who might be potentially vaccinated for the concern that being around vaccinated people can and will cause a miscarriage. Before I address the overall, like, bullshit science of this and just like go into the science wise and say like why this is not valid. I want to say this. 
Miscarriages are deeply personal, they are deeply traumatic, and they are absolutely life-altering events that women and families have to experience. To use another person's pain, to use another person's miscarriage, to use another person's trauma, to push your own political agenda or conspiracy theory is extremely disgusting and abhorrently disrespectful. Politics, personal beliefs, personal affiliation, with all of this stuff out of the way, using someone's struggle, using someone's pain, especially as painful of an event as a miscarriage, to use something like that to forward and push your own political agenda or a conspiracy theory is disgusting. And I will wholeheartedly and unbashfully say that I will look down on you as a person if that is something that you feel comfortable doing. I feel the same way because a lot of Republicans do the same thing with the conversation of abortion. They'll do the same thing with being like, oh, miscarriage is so upsetting. Why would you willingly have a miscarriage when there are so many women who have had miscarriages and been heartbroken because of it? That's a disgusting thing to do, to use miscarriage to push your own political agenda. Like I said, a miscarriage is a deeply personal and traumatic event. I could not even imagine setting up your life to accommodate another human being that you expect to bring into this world, buying baby clothes, going to baby classes, setting up a nursery, setting up a crib, having a baby shower, just to have that taken away from you with, with, with no explanation, with no regard to your feelings, just on a whim to have your child, to have the human life that you are bringing into this world literally taken from you and ripped from your body. I could not even imagine how painful that would be. And I would be extremely disappointed. I would be extremely heartbroken if I experienced something that traumatic and had people in my ear talking about how it's because I got vaccinated or it's because I was hanging around vaccinated people or, you know, this, that, the other thing, or was trying to use my experience and trying to use this traumatic event as a way to forward or push forward their own political agenda. I would be extremely heartbroken and it would just add to the already difficult to deal with pain and suffering that I was already going through as I was already having to experience a miscarriage. And like I said, politics aside, if there was, I'm, I'm sure I, if I thought about it long enough, I'm sure I could think of an example when Democrats have done some shit like that. But if, if Democrats were doing something like that, if Democrats were using another person's pain struggle, especially centered around miscarriage, to push forward a political agenda, I would be just as disgusted. Don't use another person's pain to push forward your political bullshit. Do not, uh, do not abuse or utilize or go out of your way to publicize someone else's struggle for your own personal gain. That is a disgusting thing to do. And more importantly, the more overarching point of trying to debunk this conspiracy, even though I'm not a scientist, I feel pretty comfortable saying that there is very little, if any, correlation between the COVID-19 vaccine and having a miscarriage, especially if you are just in the presence of someone who has been vaccinated and you have not actually been vaccinated yourself. The reason that this vaccine is not authorized for emergency use in pregnant women does not come from the fact that it is necessarily inherently unsafe for pregnant women to get the vaccine, but it more so comes from the fact that the necessary trials have not been done on pregnant women in order to see the effects not only on themselves, but the effects that the vaccine will have on their baby. But again, with the information that we have right now and the trials that are being done right now, we do not see any correlation between a woman getting the vaccine and having a miscarriage, especially a woman just being around someone who has been vaccinated. That's not how vaccines work. That's not how that that's vaccines don't work like viruses. You cannot transmit antibodies or the the vaccine through air droplets or um, respiratory droplets the same way that you can a virus. So even just that logic about like, oh, standing near someone or being in the vicinity of someone who has had the COVID-19 vaccine will make you more susceptible to miscarriage. That alone, scientifically, that really doesn't make sense. Um, but as of right now, like, like I said, the reason that the vaccine is not yet approved for emergency authorization use in pregnant women is not necessarily because it's unsafe for pregnant women, but because we haven't done the necessary trials in order to see the effects that it will have on pregnant women and their fetuses. 
I hope I explained that in a way that made sense. I hope that I explained that in a way that resonated with you. Um, this is a conspiracy that's going around. And while I don't think it is the dominant reason that people are hesitant about getting vaccinated, I do think that there is some toxicity, that there is some danger about conspiracies like this spreading. Like I like I said earlier, not only in the aspect of your, you were taking someone's trauma and you using it to further push your own political agenda. But on top of that, there's really no scientific evidence to support this. Um, there's no scientific evidence to support that the COVID-19 vaccine can give you miscarriages. And there's most certainly no scientific evidence to support that being around someone who has been vaccinated will cause you to have a miscarriage either. So I did just want to get that out of the way now and just debunk that conspiracy theory. Because I, even though, like I said, I feel like it's not the most prominent reason that people are hesitant about getting vaccinated, it is, it's, it's the most outlandish one. So I wanted to address that first. All right, this is probably the most common reason that I hear people be apprehensive about getting vaccinated. And this is probably the most common reason that people are hesitant to get vaccinated. And that being that this is a new vaccine. This is a vaccine that was developed in the last year, within a year, and it hasn't been out long enough for us to see the side effects and the effects and the long-term effects that it will have on people. And while I understand the hesitancy, I want to try and put this in a little bit of like a relative like a relative timeline for you. This is not the first coronavirus epidemic or pandemic that we have faced as a world. In the in the late 90s, I believe, there was a coronavirus outbreak in the Middle East which was called SARS-CoV-1, which you know resulted in a lot of the same symptoms that we're seeing with the COVID-19 outbreak today upper and lower respiratory infections, people having to be hospitalized, people having to be put on ventilators and given oxygen. Um, you know, thousands of people died. Hundreds of thousands of people were infected. It just, ran, it just ran rampant through the Middle East. And ever since then, we have actually been in the process of developing a vaccine against the coronavirus. But because we managed to get the epidemic under control before it, you know, spread into a pandemic and we managed to get it under control to the point where it stopped infect where it stopped infecting people in those areas, it was never a concern. And I'm just going to go into a little scientific like lesson about vaccines real quick, just to give you guys a little bit of a you know wider scope about how this works. There are probably hundreds of different types of vaccines that are currently being developed um, within certain governmental subsidized companies, within certain pharmaceutical companies. There, Like I said, there are probably hundreds of different vaccines in development right now. There are malaria vaccines currently in development. There's Ebola vaccines currently in development. There are even vaccines against HIV that are currently be being developed. But because those sicknesses specifically don't really affect rich white countries in the same way that they affect developing nations of color, and on top of the fact that those illnesses are not currently causing worldwide pandemics, all of those vaccines kind of kind of go to the back burner, for, for lack of a better term. They kind of go to the wayside. Even though they're still being developed, even though they're still being focused on scientifically, they are not the top priority of vaccine development currently. Usually, pharmaceutical companies and other companies that are that are known to develop vaccines will focus more so on developing vaccines that are currently either perpetuating or creating a global crisis or pandemic such as the COVID-19 virus, or they will focus on vaccines that affect a disproportionate amount of people a year. So for example, an HIV vaccine has been something that has really been subsidized by the government and something that has been pushed by the public to be manufactured and created because HIV and AIDS are both illnesses that, you know, have killed millions of people, hundreds of millions of people. But when we fall into a pandemic, when we fall into a global crisis at the hands of a virus like we have with the COVID-19 pandemic, suddenly vaccines that were on the back burner and vaccines that hadn't really paid much mind to, that we haven't done the trials yet, that we haven't finalized, that we haven't done all of the nitpicky science about, suddenly those come to the forefront and suddenly those are the first priority for every single pharmaceutical company, for every single government company that creates vaccines. And suddenly that's the priority that we focus on. And that's what happened with the COVID-19 vaccine. This means that in the most simple terms, we've had a we've had a coronavirus vaccine in development since the 90s. We've had a coronavirus vaccine in development for almost 30 years. 
So while I understand people who say, oh, this is a new vaccine, we don't know the effects, it's really not a new vaccine. We have known the intricacies of the science. We have been developing the science. We have been, you know, developing the mRNA technology in this vaccine for several decades. And and just because you personally don't see the work being done on the forefront does not necessarily mean that the work is not being done. Because like I explained earlier, that's really not how vaccine development works. We would be such an unproductive society if we only focused on developing vaccines when a virus was knocking on our doorstep and threatening to cause a global crisis. Because of that, that is why we are constantly developing new vaccines. That's why we're constantly developing new science and we're constantly making new scientific discoveries about viruses because we never know when something like this could happen. That's why they've had a coronavirus vaccine on the back burner for the last three decades that they've been chipping away at because it was only a matter of time before coronavirus mutated and caused a global pandemic like the one we've seen in the last year. So because of that, once this pandemic hit, honestly, all they really had to do in order to finalize and develop this vaccine was modify it specifically to the COVID-19 virus, which is still in the coronavirus family. And all coronaviruses have the same core properties and work in the same kind of way. So they really didn't have to modify it all that much. But apart from modifying it, they also had to run the trials. So in the last year, they didn't just make a coronavirus vaccine from scratch. They didn't just make a COVID-19 vaccine from scratch. We had all of the key proponents to make a functional, safe, and effective COVID-19 vaccine. We just needed to run the trials. We just needed to see how truly effective it was. And we needed to get that emergency authorization use from the FDA, which was all what happened. So like I said earlier, while I understand people's hesitancy, while I understand people's logic behind, oh, this is a new vaccine, so logistically and scientifically speaking, this is not a new vaccine. And COVID-19 isn't really a quote-unquote new virus either. We've been in the process of having this battle underway against coronavirus, and we've been in the process of fighting coronaviruses and finding ways to inoculate people against them for, like I said, decades at this point, since the 90s. And I want to I want to kind of put this into perspective too. This is kind of what I say to people whenever they say this to me or say that you know they're hesitant about getting the vaccine. And I say, well, to me personally, the negative effects of getting COVID far outweigh the negative effects of getting the vaccine. You th you are concerned that the vaccine is so new. You are concerned at the potential negative effects that the vaccine will have on you because it's so new. We know even less about COVID-19 than we do about the COVID-19 vaccine. We made the vaccine. We did not make COVID-19. I mean, I forget when I said it. I forget what episode I said it in. But I said that example of how we've just figured out in recently, in the last half a year, that women who have COVID-19 or get COVID-19 can have their periods and their menstrual cycles disrupted. That is terrifying. Imagine if we find out in the next six months or imagine if we find out in the next couple of years that COVID-19 and getting infected with COVID-19 can actually affect a woman's fertility or it can or if it can affect a man's fertility. Imagine getting COVID-19 at 18 years old because you refuse to get vaccinated and then when you're 35 and want to start a family, you literally are physically incapable of doing so because of COVID-19. That is terrifying to me. And granted, I'm not just saying you should throw everything to the wayside and just blindly trust your government and your pharmaceutical companies because, trust me, there's a lot more, you know, evil lurking beneath the surface of our pharmaceutical companies than I feel comfortable going in depth about right now. But at some point, you have to kind of, you have to have this debate and you have to weigh out the options of what's important and what you, and what is worth it to you and what you're willing to pay. Because for me... I'm not willing to pay the price of a virus that we know nothing about. I'm not willing to pay the price of a virus that, you know, every two weeks there's another new article about a new symptom or a new long-term side effect or something else that someone can, you know, deal with because they got infected with COVID one time. Personally speaking, I'm all set with that. I'll, I'll take my chances with the vaccine. Like I said, to me, 
the negative effects and the effects that I don't know about of getting COVID far outweigh the negative effects and the potential effects that I don't know about of getting vaccinated. I know how vaccines work. I've been vaccinated my entire life. I get my flu shot every single year. I get my tetanus shot. I get my meningitis shot. I get my, I get my HPV shots. Like I've been vaccinated dozens of times in my life and I'm still here. I'm still kicking. And if anything, I'm healthier than I would be if I hadn't gotten vaccinated. I don't know how COVID-19 works. I don't know what the COVID-19 virus will do to me. And that's like, that's the disconnect that we need to help people try and understand is like, we know how vaccines work. We don't know how COVID-19 works. We don't know the long-term effects that someone can get from having COVID-19. We've been getting vaccinated as a country and as individuals for over a century. People have lived their entire lifetimes with getting, with getting vaccines every single year and they've lived long, healthy, and plentiful lives. There have been people my age who will never be able to recover from the brain trauma, who will never be able to recover from the respiratory illness and the respiratory scarring from COVID-19. There are people my age who, like I said, may not even be able to have children because of COVID-19. That's terrifying to me. And I'm not willing to take that chance. Personally, I'm not willing to take that chance. Again, getting vaccinated is a personal choice. And if that is something that seems worth it to you, then again, you are more than willing to make you are more than welcome to make that choice. But for me personally, that's not a choice that I'm willing that's not a risk that I'm willing to make. That's not a choice that I'm willing to make. I'll I'll take I'll take my chances with the vaccine at that point. Um I also want to address while I'm here, I also want to address the the whole blood clotting situation with the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. I did not get the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. I got the Pfizer vaccine. Um, but there were, I think there were like a, like a half dozen or so instances of women who got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine who ended up getting life threatening blood clots. And I just want to, I just want to break that down a little bit for you guys and just, you know, break it down in a sense of numbers and just help you understand, you know, the overarching lack of risk or the overarching risk, however you choose to look at it of getting the vaccine and what your chances would be of getting blood clots. And I kind of just want to put it into perspective for you guys as well. At the point when the Johnson & Johnson vaccine was halted, about like over 7 million people had gotten vaccinated with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And at that point, they halted it because six women had come forward with life-threatening blood clots. Just off the top of my head, I'm just going to do this quick math here. Six people out of 7 million people got vaccinated. That means that your chances of getting a life-threatening blood clot, if you're a woman who got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, is one out of about 1.2 million. Now, I am a sexually active young woman, and because of that, I take birth control, and I also take birth control for a magnitude of other health reasons, health and personal reasons that I'm not going to disclose right now, not because I don't want to, but because that's not what we're talking about. But for relevancy, I, I am a healthy 18-year-old girl. I'm active, I eat well, and, you know, I, I participate in a healthy lifestyle, and I take birth control. My chances of getting a blood clot as a healthy 18-year-old girl on my birth control is 1 in 1,000. And I don't have anyone coming up to me asking me if I'm okay. I don't have anyone coming up to me asking me about my birth control. I don't have my birth control being, you know, pro prohibited from being manufactured and distributed to the public. Nobody gives a shit about my chances of getting a blood clot on my birth control even though my chances are 1 in 1,000 and your chances of getting a blood clot with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine are statistically 1 in 1.2 million. So it's like, that's just, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, I'm not trying to be rude, I'm just trying, that's just me trying to put it into perspective of like, we are worrying about the wrong shit. <laughs> we are worrying about the wrong things. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is an issue that women have to deal with all the time, is like these side effects. My birth control makes me a walking blood clot machine and nobody pays any mind to it. Yet, you know, like I said, six people out of seven million get blood clots and suddenly the world is ending and we don't trust vaccines anymore and they're out to kill us. And, you know, all of this, all of these, you know, crazy conspiracy theories that people are just so emotional and everything's just so intense at this time that like people are just taking whatever they can and running with it instead of taking the time to like sit down and put things into perspective a little bit. So hopefully I was able to do that for you in this specific instance with the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, just like, you know, the AstraZeneca vaccine as well. Same goes for that one with the blood clots and everything. 
just, you know, take a moment to sit down and think logically about this. I know it's incredibly hard right now. I know we're in a time when thinking logically and taking some time to actually dissect what information you're being fed is not something that is societally normal at this point in time, but we need to make it societally normal because we are we are just hurting ourselves and we are hurting our society by not slowing down and thinking critically about what is being force-fed to us in our news feeds. All right, I've been talking for a while now, so I'm going to this is going to be the last one that I focus on and then I'm going to wrap up this week's episode. But this one is more so very common for people my age, younger people who have been told since the beginning of the pandemic that they're not really at risk. This is something that much more so affects older people and that older people are much more likely to die and have, you know, longer lasting conditions and symptoms and and therefore have to deal with the life-altering effects that COVID-19 can leave with someone after they've been affected. And that being that I don't have to worry about it, so why would I put myself in a position to be vaccinated if I'm not at risk and, you know, this isn't something that I'm worried about? And you know what? In terms of what I have to say directly combating that argument, I really don't have anything. I, you're right. You're, you're, you're not at as high of a risk as other people in society. You probably can go out and party and have fun and be in high, you know, in, be in compacted spaces with a bunch of other people, not wearing masks, not vaccinated, and probably never have to worry about having outward effects and symptoms of COVID-19. Because even if you get infected, you probably won't even have symptoms. And that's something that I'm not even going to argue with you with, because statistically and scientifically, we know that that is more so true for younger people, people who are my age. However, if we want to get to a point of herd immunity, and if we want to get back to some sense of normalcy in society, unfortunately, it's going to take people like you, and it's going to take people like me, people who are young, people who are healthy, people who won't necessarily have to intrinsically think about the negative effects of COVID should we get infected. It's going to take us and people like us to take it upon ourselves to do what's best for ourselves and do what's best for our communities and go and get vaccinated. We have to reach, what is it? Like, I think they changed it to like 80, 85% of people in our society have to get vaccinated in order for us to reach herd immunity. But honestly, it's, it's probably higher than that. It's probably like 90, 95%. So any person that gets vaccinated is another person that we are closer to getting that herd immunity and getting back to some sense of normalcy. And as young people, we statistically are much more compassionate. We're able to be much more introspective and retrospective than our older counterparts, than the elderly people in our community. Just, it's a societal change. It's a little bit of a societal change. We were taught and we have had it indoctrinated in us that it is cool to be compassionate. It is necessary for us to be compassionate. We need to care about other people. We need to care about other people's struggles. And because of that, I'm asking you to kind of tap into that a little bit and tap into the societal norm that we live in today as young people, as millennials, as Gen Z, and tap into that compassion that has been indoctrinated in us. Because more than anything, this isn't really about you. There are people who are going through chemotherapy. There are cancer patients. There are people who have leukemia. There are people who were born with immunocompromised immune systems who will never be able to get vaccinated. But that doesn't change the fact that those people still want to be able to have normal lives. They still want to be able to go out and participate in society. They don't want to be stuck in their houses. I mean, think about how people were complaining about being stir crazy and how irritating quarantine was at the beginning when everyone was locked in their houses all day, every day. I mean, imagine if even at this point, when things are starting to open back up again, when people are starting, when businesses are starting to be able to function at 100% capacity again, when masks are starting to be able to be taken off, when people are starting to be able to be, to be vaccinated, imagine being one of those people who still has to quarantine because the people in your community and the people around you are not taking it upon themselves to get vaccinated, even though you cannot. Because that, for a lot of people, for hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people in this country, that's very much a reality. Like I said, anyone who's who is currently undergoing cancer treatment, anyone who currently has many types of cancer, many forms of cancer, anyone who's battling leukemia, anyone who is born with an immunocompromised system, all of those people and so many other people who fit under so many umbrellas will literally never be able to get vaccinated. And so they depend on people like you and me to get our shots and do our part. People who are healthy, people who are young, people who will be able to bounce back after that second shot and not even remember it, you know, in a week's time. 
They depend on us to be able to do our part as members of the society, as, mem as functioning members of the society, to get vaccinated, to mitigate their risk of getting sick and mitigate their risk of dying. Because those are the people who not only are unable to get vaccinated and protect themselves against this virus in the first place, but those are also the people that if they get sick, they'll, they'll most likely not make it. They'll most likely be the person who gets, you know, committed into the hospital. They'll most likely be the person who has to be on a ventilator or and have to be fed oxygen. And they'll most likely be the person who is going to pass away, not even being able to be surrounded by loved ones and the people who care about them. So again, like this is... As, as much as I understand your concern, as much as I understand that it is your right to get vaccinated, it is your right to make that choice, and it is your right to make that decision for yourself, we have to also take into consideration everyone around us and the communities and the people around us that we care about and that we are a part of. Because it is, it is bigger than us at this point. It is, it is bigger than us and it is bigger than what we want or what we don't want for ourselves. Because whether you like it or not, and I know as a young person this is so annoying to hear, because from one young person to another, I know that you don't want to hear this, but it's true. Our choices do affect other people, and our choices do have an outcome for other people, even if we don't even think it will. The fact of the matter is that just because you won't get sick, just because you might have asymptomatic symptoms, just because you won't be committed to a hospital, doesn't mean that you can control who this virus infects. And even if you don't infect someone who has an immunocompromised system, even if you don't infect someone who is currently going through cancer treatment, who knows, you might infect someone else who could bring it home to their spouse who's currently going through cancer treatment. You could bring it home to someone who has an immunocompromised system and is going to die because of the virus. You could bring it home to a child battling leukemia who won't even be able to see their 10th birthday because they die because of COVID. You, we have no control over who this, who this virus infects. We have no control over who this virus kills. And we have no control over who is going to have their life changed forever because of COVID-19. And that is the overarching point that I want to make. And that is the overarching point that I feel like needs to be made is that this isn't just about us. This isn't just about you. This isn't just about me. This is about everyone. This is about protecting ourselves. And this is about protecting our communities. And this is about protecting the people that we may not know, we may not care about, but that other people know and care about. And that other people will be heartbroken if their loved one, you know, isn't able to celebrate another birthday or another Christmas or another New Year's because of this pandemic. There have been too many people who have you know, empty seats at the dinner table. There are too many people who have had to say goodbye too soon or not even be able to say goodbye at all. And this is, this is not about us. This is about the people who are literally never going to be able to live normal lives again or are never going to be able to see a loved one again because of what this pandemic has done to us. This is about our communities. This is about the people within our communities. And this is about the world around us and what it will take to keep our world as healthy, as safe, and as happy and functional as possible. All right, you guys, that is it for this week's episode. But before I wrap up, you already know what time it is. I need to give you guys what is in my rotation this week. And I want to give you guys a TV show this week that I wholeheartedly recommend to you guys. So I don't know if I've mentioned it. I haven't mentioned it, but I'm mentioning it now. But I just recently watched all of the Marvel movies. Disney Plus has them in chronological timeline order. And I spent the last two or three weeks watching them religiously, watching every single Marvel movie in chronological order. And I actually just finished them in the last week. And I started wand watching WandaVision because of it. And for the record, if you haven't seen a single Marvel movie, because I was that person that was like, oh my god, Marvel? Really? Like, I don't need to watch superheroes? I'm, I'm kind of like a pretentious movie person. I don't really like movies, but I took it upon myself to, you know, put my pretentiousness aside and actually sit down and watch some Marvel movies. And I actually wholeheartedly enjoyed every single one of them. I thought every single one was phenomenal. I thought every single movie was so good. And so I was thrilled when I finished Endgame and was able to, you know, watch all of these little mini-series like WandaVision and The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I actually just started The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'm not too far into it, so I don't want to recommend it yet. But before that, I finished watching WandaVision, and WandaVision was so good. I am anxiously awaiting the next season to come out. It was incredible. It was, it was amazing. 
Um, wholeheartedly recommend it. It's it's a little weird at first. You gotta really sit through like three or four episodes before you really understand what's going on. But if you can sit through those first couple of episodes and like kind of just be like kind of just go with the flow for them, let me tell you, it is worth the wait, and you will love how the entire series turns out. It is phenomenal. But yeah, that is currently what is in my rotation this week. Go watch some WandaVision. Alright you guys, and with all of that being said, now it is finally time for me to officially wrap up this week's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, if you learned something, if I helped you see something from a different perspective, or if you think I could help someone else see something from a different perspective, be sure to subscribe and follow for weekly episodes that come out every Sunday. It helps more people like you listen to this podcast and enjoy it as well. Also, be sure to send this podcast to your friends, your family, the friends of your family, and help them learn something, see something from a different point of view, or just overall enjoy the content that I have to give you guys each week. But yeah, with all of that out of the way, you guys, again, do not shame people who do not get vaccinated. Have these conversations with them. Have these talks with them. Answer their questions. Meet them where they're at, more importantly. Do not shame people. Do not guilt people. That will only cause this divide to grow even further and if anything, just drive them further and further away from the thought of getting vaccinated. Be sure to be considerate of other people's feelings, opinions, and points of view. And more than anything, always be sure to leave this episode and every episode before now ready to educate often, learn freely, and always, always, always love equally. Thank you so much for tuning in this week, guys. I will talk to you next Sunday.